That's okay. That's okay. Anybody else have an offering that they want to give? Okay, Rosie, you come on up and put the basket up here, sweetie, and then you can head on downstairs. Thank you, sweetie. All right, we are in Isaiah chapter 41. And I'm not going to take the time to read it this morning because Isaiah 41 has 31 verses. And to read it with any intent, we would end up being here for just a half an hour just reading it. So, um, let me give you a synopsis of what Isaiah 41 is. Isaiah 41 is the second chapter of the book of Isaiah that is in this... um, in this second half of the book, if you remember. Craig? Craig's not here. There we go. Um, second half of the book, and if you remember last week in Isaiah 40, I told you that this is now looking past the time of the Babylonian exile and the people of Israel, and this is a word that's written before the exile takes place. So indeed, these are prophetic words. These are words of anticipation. These are words telling the Israelites, the the people of Jacob, the people of of Abraham, that God is in their corner, even though the time is coming when they are going to be facing some pretty bad stuff. Now, something I intended to say last week and didn't, just because I forgot, and something that I intend to say this week, later on in my sermon, and I don't want to forget, So I'm going to say it now, and I may just come back to it in in a few moments, but I want to say this, because you need to hear it. Last week, in the chapter uh, chapter 40, and again this week, in chapter 41, God is talking to the people of Israel and saying, you were warned. I gave you so many opportunities to follow what you knew was supposed to be the right way. And you continually rebelled against me. And the end result, folks, is there must be consequences for your bad choices. And as a grandparent of an almost two-year-old, I am very rapidly being reminded of what it was 30 years ago when I had toddlers in my home. And I was constantly saying, I said no. Now, if you don't stop, there will be consequences. Do you understand? Uh Uh-huh. You're not stopping. Uh Uh-huh. Stop. Uh Uh-huh. I said, if you touch that, you're going to get your hand slapped. Uh Uh-huh. And then they touch it, and they look at you the whole time. And they reach out while they're smiling and looking at you, and they grab it, and then they run like fire because they know they're in trouble. Well, the other day, my grandson, he's not even two yet, and he was not supposed to do something, and he knows that if he does something wrong like that, grabbing at something or hitting at something, and he's going to get his hand slapped. Now, we don't beat him, but he gets his hand slapped, just a, a tap. Well, literally the other day, he's sitting in his high chair, and he throws something, which he knows he's not supposed to do. My daughter's on one side of him at the table. I'm on the other side of him at the table. And after he throws it, what does he do? He immediately puts both hands under his butt. Because he knew what was coming. 
Now, you don't have to teach children that. That's part of the nature of human beings. It's called carnality. <laughs> it is not something they learn. It is something that they receive as a result of being a part of the human race. And what we as parents need to do is discipline and train them up so that they don't listen to the carnal nature, but that they begin to follow the teachings of God and the commands of God. Now, as a good parent, I have to set boundaries. Or as a grandparent now, I have to set boundaries. As a good parent, I have to make sure those boundaries stay enforced. As a good parent, if the boundaries are pushed by the child, I have to make sure the consequences are appropriate, but that the consequences do happen. If you don't do that, you end up with a really sick child who grows to be a really sick adult who sometimes ends up in jail. Okay? So it is a very important thing as a parent or a grandparent who's responsible for the rearing of a person, a human being, to help them to understand sin, consequences, and then you can come back into right relationship. Okay? Because what happens? Your child, your grandchild, looks at you, you say no, they smile and do it anyway, and then you spank them, or you put them in timeout, or you take away their toy, or you turn off the television, or whatever discipline, whatever consequences you've chosen that are appropriate to the situation. And they're crying, and they're screaming, and they're going, ah! And after they calm down, and the consequences are now over with, the next appropriate thing for a parent to do, or a grandparent, is to re-establish in the child's mind, I still love you. There is nothing you could ever do that would take away my love for you. Even though I had to spank you, even though there had to be consequences for your poor choices, we can now embrace and be again in right relationship. And as a, as a parent, that's what God was doing with his children. Up to chapter 35 in Isaiah, Isaiah was saying, Y'all, I'm telling you, do not touch that ornament on the tree. You better not. God has said you can't. Don't touch it. It's an idol. It's going to cause you to fall. It's going to cause problems. Do not keep your eyes focused only on God. And the Israelites didn't. And the end result was they lost the blessing of God. What was the blessing of God? Think about the covenant relationship of God with, with Abraham. What did he say to Abraham when he established his covenant? He said, I am going to give you and all of your progeny this land for all of time and eternity. This will be your land. And when they disobeyed, what happened? They lost the land. The Babylonian exile, and prior to that with the northern kingdom of Israel, the Assyrian exile, caused the, the people of Israel to lose the land, which was akin to losing their relationship with God. Now think about that. They don't have the benefit of living in the year 2016. They don't know about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not die, should not perish, but have eternal life. For God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but through the world 
He, I mean, but that through him he might they might be saved. That's something we understand and we know because it's in our past. It was in their future. They didn't know. All they knew was we've lost the blessing of God. We can't worship God anymore because where do you worship God? In the temple in Jerusalem. And because we can't get to the temple anymore, we can't worship God. Therefore, we can't honor God and he's not pleased with us. And he's kicked us out and we've lost all relationship with him. And so Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 41, is saying to the Israelites of the future, I still love you. The punishment is over with. Again, these are prophetic words talking about a future time, but he's saying the punishment is over with. And I'm bringing you back to the land. And I am telling you, I am still in love with you. And I still am committed to you. And I still want you to be my people. And then there's lots more in this chapter, but that's the crux of it. And I want to focus mainly on three verses. So if you'll turn with me to Isaiah chapter 41, verses 8, 9, and 10. It says, But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, You are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. These are the people of God who had violated their relationship with God because of their disobedience. And as a result, consequences were given to them. Where they had to leave the land and be under exile, under foreign powers. And God, through his prophet, is saying... You, look at verse 8. You are not only Israel, but you are my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen. Think about when Isaac and Rebekah were expecting their children. Rebekah had twins in her womb. Jacob and Esau. And it says in the scriptures that God chose Jacob but rejected Esau as far as the covenantal relationship and the covenantal promises that were to come through Abraham's line. So the the Jacob here in verse 8 is talking about this covenantal uh, commitment that God had to the people, saying, I have chosen you. You are Jacob, the offspring of my friend Abraham. There's this deep, long-lasting, abiding commitment on my part as God to your forefather Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, who became known as Israel, and still remains to you people, my people, my chosen ones of Israel. Look at the verse that's on the screen. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. God speaking to the people of Israel says to them, I have loved you with an everlasting love. My love never ends. There is nothing you can do 
that will ever negate my love for you. That doesn't mean that there won't be consequences when you sin, when you rebel against me. That doesn't mean that I'm going to turn a blind eye and just allow you to get away with anything because I'm a good parent. And my responsibility to you is to see you successful. And the end result is, if I have to, there's going to be chastisement and discipline brought into your life as a result of your rebellion. But it doesn't negate my everlasting love for you and the fact that there's a covenant between you and me. That I love you and it's based on certain promises that I have made hundreds if not of thousands of years ago to your forefathers. And so in all of this, one verse, and literally for me in this one word, we have this, re this remembrance that God is the one that initiated the relationship. God is the one that said, I'm calling you out. I'm drawing you to myself. I'm wooing you to me. And as a result of that relationship, there's an everlastingness to this love of God. Verse 9. You whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you. And not cast you off. Think about that promise. Again, these people who are hearing these words are still anticipating the time when Babylon will come in and take them into exile. But think about when they are in exile. Think about when they are going through their time of discipline and separation from God, from their perspective. God is saying to them, because they had these words, they had them to read and hold on to, I have chosen you and not cast you off. You may think I have. You may think that it's hopeless. You may think that there's nothing that could ever be done to make it right again. But it's a lie from the pit of hell. I have loved you with an everlasting love. And I made a commitment to my friend Abraham. And that commitment still stands. And just because we're having some trouble right now, and you're having to go through some discipline, does not negate the fact that I chose you and I love you. And I have not cast you off, people of Israel. There is still a future for us. There is still a hope that you can hold on to. My love is too great. And my commitment to you is too deep to allow anything to come between us. And then finally, verse 10. Fear not. Because I'm with you. Be not dismayed. Because I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Have you ever been in a relationship with another human being and you caused harm? 
in my personal life, one of my fears, one of my deep-seated fears that go back to the time I was two or three years old, is the fear of rejection. I have had a couple of times in my life where I was literally struck to the point of emotional paralysis and panic because of my fear of rejection. I was in a situation where a relative of mine had asked me to babysit their child. And their child did something inappropriate and I responded in a way that was harsher than was necessary Although I wasn't in any way wrong in the sense that I didn't, I didn't beat the kid and I didn't, you know, scream and ho- but I did frighten this child because their house, they didn't yell at their kids. And so when I yelled at this child, they got very scared. And when they came, when they went home to their parent, they begged them to not make me go back there again. Please, please don't make me go back there again. Well, this was a relative. And the relative came to me, and they were gracious. And they said, we won't be having you babysit our child anymore. Why? Because, and they told me what was going on. My whole world came crashing. Don't reject me. Don't, don't cast me out. Please don't me. Don't, don't. I, I, can't, I can't live without your relationship in my life. Please. Another time in my life, I was in Bible college. My best friend in Bible college had a garden trailer. More than just a garden trailer, but it wasn't a big heavy-duty trailer. It was probably about 8 feet, 9 feet long. It was lightweight, but we were using it to haul some dirt, some, some loam that we had gotten from a garden center. And I backed it up into our front yard, offloaded it, then drove the trailer, the trailer back to my friend's house, backed it up into an area, but I didn't feel comfortable backing it where it needed to go because that was a lot more surgically requiring surgical skill. And I said to my friend, listen, I left it here because I just didn't feel comfortable trying to back it exactly where it needed to go. He said, that's no problem. We'll take care of it later. And we were having dinner at their house that evening. And so while we were waiting for the dinner to be finished, he and I went out to his trailer so he could hook it up on his vehicle and back it into place. And he got out there and he looked at the trailer, is it called a tongue on the trailer? And he said, you bent the tongue. What? There's no way I could have bent the tongue. I didn't do anything with it. You bent it. But I, 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 I don't know how it happened, Bob. But it wasn't that way when you borrowed it, and it's now bent. Never mind. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And I was like, I'm sorry. It's okay. Don't worry about it. And we went back into the house. And and we, we sat and had dinner, and we played card games. We were there for about an hour and a half, two hours. And the whole time, inside, I'm screaming, Don't shut me out! Please scream at me! Yell at me! Say how angry you are with me, but don't shut me out. I can't deal with this. Please. I love you with all my heart. Don't reject me. Please. In both of those cases, my sickness, my own personal psychological garbage, really 
made me feel like I had lost full access to those lives. People I cared desperately about. People I loved with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I felt like because of my actions, what I had done, regardless of intent, I didn't try to harm in either one of those situations, but in regardless of my intent, my actions caused me to lose relationship. And I was devastated. Now, 20-some years later, I'm still in good relationship with those people. They haven't rejected me. They love me. We are good friends and good relatives. And I am at peace. And I have no wincing when I think about my relationship with those folks. But while I was in the throes of my... It was over with, and I had ruined everything, and there was no fixing it. There was not a single thing I could do to make it right. And that's what I see the people of Israel facing as they're in their Babylonian exile. We blew it, we ruined everything. There is no more hope. We had it good, folks. We had the covenantal promises of our father Abraham. We had the God who is the only God in our corner. And he promised us blessing upon blessing, so much so that it would pour out blessings upon all the people of the earth. And we ruined it. And there is no hope for us. It's over with. It's done. Except Isaiah chapter 41, verses 8, 9, and 10 say, I have chosen you. I have not cast you out. You do not need to fear or be dismayed. You need to understand that I am right here. In other words, I have got your back. And we are continuing to walk. And this is the coolest image in my mind. Verse 10 says, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And what I see there is the image of the father walking side by side with his two-year-old grandson or son, holding on to the child's hand, guiding them in a path that is straight. Not letting them run through the parking lot unsupervised. But literally, I uphold you. I'm strengthening you. I'm protecting you. I'm helping you to walk the right way. And our relationship is not over. Because I love you with an everlasting love. Nothing that you could ever do would stop me from loving you. These are the words of the prophet Isaiah through the Holy Spirit of God. Excuse me, the words of the Holy Spirit of God through the prophet Isaiah to the people of God. But there's one other verse that I want to read to us this morning. It is not in Isaiah, it's in the New Testament. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Let me read that to us one more time. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. We're on the other side of all of this prophetic stuff. We're literally down to the last wire. The only thing we're left waiting for is the return of Christ and the beginning of the eternal home that we have with God. And I want to leave you with a, a thought that I came across this week. There was a Nazarene pastor who has a, a blog that I just came across, and it was it was funny. I like the time, I like his his humor. I want to get to know him at least through his writings. I'd love to get to meet him. The, the title of his blog is "You Can Trust Me, I'm Ordained." <laughs> so that made me want to read him. And his post this week was, "Jesus is not the reason for the season." And he said, "You may want to just." Mark me down as a heretic and move on with your little Christian celebration of, 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 of Christmas. But think about it. Jesus didn't have to come to the earth so we could have Christmas. We have Christmas because Jesus came to the earth. And Jesus didn't come to the earth so that he could be honored and celebrated on the 25th of December. Jesus came to the earth because so that by him giving up, you could be rich. And my, my new friend, who I haven't met yet, Mark Atherton, Reverend Mark Atherton in the Church of the Nazarene, said, Christmas is the time when the Son took on flesh and came to the earth. What was the reason he did it? You and me. The uncomfortable truth is there would be no need for a Christmas if there was not a you and me. If there were not sinners to save, there would have been no reason for Jesus to come. We are the reason for the season. God loves you with an everlasting love. God desires relationship with you. And there is absolutely nothing that you could ever do that would negate his love for you. Ever. Walk in that this week. This last week of Advent. The week of love. And pass that good news on to somebody this week. Help them to understand the everlasting, undeniable love of God. Amen.